My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. just really want to encourage any fossil fuel worker who's listening to not be too apprehensive about advocating for a just transition for themselves to net zero. You would be surprised at how many other fossil fuel workers are concerned about climate change just like yourself. If you were to talk to your co-workers in the lunchroom, you're going to find that a lot of people have concerns about That's climate. the voice of Stephen Bueller. He and Luisa da Silva are today's guests on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. De Silva is a geoscientist who has worked in the fossil fuel industry in Alberta and in mining around the world, and more recently for a nature conservancy in Ontario. She is currently the executive director of an organization called Iron and Earth. Bueller is a journeyman machinist who works in the fossil fuel industry in Alberta. He's been involved in grassroots climate justice organizing in Edmonton, and he's the community engagement officer for Iron and Earth. Founded in 2016 among fossil fuel industry workers facing a major industry downturn, Iron and Earth is, according to their website, quote, a worker-led not-for-profit with a mission to empower fossil fuel industry and indigenous workers to build and implement climate solutions, end quote. They aim to build community among fossil fuel workers, generate political support for the transition to an economy based on renewable energy, engage directly in creating climate solutions, and enable fossil fuel workers to use their skills and make a living in that process. To that end, the organization engages in a number of kinds of work. They have, for instance, regional chapters based on the East Coast and in Edmonton to bring workers together to engage in green energy and training initiatives. They also bring workers together online, including through a climate career portal that gives fossil fuel workers tools to figure out how their skills could translate into career options consistent with what the group describes as the quote-unquote net-zero economy that will result from a transition to a more renewable and sustainable energy system. Another area of their work is their renewable skills initiatives. Many fossil fuel workers have skills that are already quite relevant to work in the renewable sector, and often they just need a little bit of training to make the switch. So these initiatives are opportunities for fossil fuel workers to have a 10-day, hands-on crash course to adapt their existing skills to renewable energy applications through working on actual renewable energy projects. Some of these have also been done in collaboration with indigenous communities in ways that have involved participation by community members in the skill building while leaving the community with new renewable energy infrastructure. A key part of the organization's work is advocacy. This advocacy is based in a recognition that sooner or later a transition is going to happen. Iron and Earth is pushing for it to happen sooner rather than later, which will be better for all of us. And they're pushing for it to happen in ways that both recognize the potential contributions of fossil fuel workers to that transition and take workers' needs seriously. The organization's most recent advocacy is based on a new comprehensive report called the Prosperous Transition Plan, developed through extensive consultation with fossil fuel workers. 
They're pushing for government action to invest in initiatives to upgrade the skills of fossil fuel workers, to support businesses in retooling and repositioning for the new economy, to retrofit and green already existing infrastructure, and to invest in nature-based solutions that work with the features of existing ecosystems to reduce atmospheric carbon and mitigate climate impacts. They say they've gotten positive responses from politicians of all parties, and they see promise in the federal government's Just Transition Plan. According to De Silva and Bueller, conversations with fossil fuel workers have changed in the last five years. With rising temperatures and the ever-present fires in and near Alberta during the summers, more and more fossil fuel workers recognize the need to take the climate crisis seriously. And many of those who are less engaged with the climate aspect are nonetheless growing weary of the intensifying boom and bust cycles of the fossil fuel industry, and are interested in the perhaps somewhat less lucrative but more stable possibilities of work on renewables. Along with ongoing advocacy, the organization's future plans include working to launch a social enterprise to significantly scale up their upskilling initiatives, and they're in conversation with indigenous communities about larger-scale efforts to partner with them as they transition to renewables. I speak with De Silva and Bueller about the climate crisis and about Iron and Earth's work for a just and prosperous transition. My name is Luisa De Silva. I'm the executive director of Iron and Earth. I am a professional geoscientist by trade. I started my career in the oil sands in Alberta, and I worked for several years in exploration, mining, and whatnot. I traveled around the world and then found myself back here in Canada working at a nature conservancy here in Ontario. And from that, really cemented that I wanted to be working in climate change, something that would speak to my background in mining and workers. So when I saw the Iron and Earth organization where workers are being supported to transition into the net zero economy and also working with indigenous communities to also help them with their journey onto net zero economy, I thought that was wonderful. We have a mission to empower fossil fuel industry and indigenous workers to create and implement climate solutions. And the way that we do that is through our national chapters, through our advocacy, our platforms like the Climate Career Portal and our Renewable Skills Initiatives. When I was young, we would watch David Suzuki's Nature of Things all the time. And, you know, he would really talk about climate change and what was happening with the Earth. So right from a young age, I was very aware of this. As a teenager, I became fascinated by electric vehicles and I loved learning everything that there was about them. And when I went off to do my post-secondary education, I studied geoscience. And there we talked about climate change from a scientific point of view. So when I graduated, unfortunately, like as so many other people's stories, the only work that I could really find at the time was out in the oil fields. And I learned so much. It was a great community, a great bunch of people that were working out there. And I felt fulfilled as a professional. But of course, it was always niggling at the back of my mind, you know, you're contributing to climate change by doing this kind of work. So I went on with my career and I ended up working a lot in the mining sector. A few years ago, I decided to make my own career transition and really move away from the industry that I had known my entire life, which was scary, but I knew that it was going to be fulfilling. And I did many things. And this is what I would say to anybody who's thinking of doing their own transition. Try things that interest you. You know, I worked in education. I worked in adult education. I worked at a conservancy. And it really brought together, for me, this is exactly the kind of work that I want to be doing. 
something will percolate out of that, you know, keep your ear to the ground and you'll see where it is that that opportunity lies. Working at the Nature Conservancy really helped to cement that for me, that it was possible to have a good career and feel like you're giving back and doing something better for the world. My name's Stephen. I am a journeyman machinist, as well as the community engagement officer for Iron and Earth. I got into the whole climate space through starting as a machinist. I got into the trade really wanting to have skills that I felt I could build up while working in oil and gas, but knowing that inevitably a transition was going to be needed. So I wanted to have a skill that I felt was going to be extremely useful in any kind of industry. So got into the trade straight out of high school. And after 10 or so years of working in the trade, working in oil and gas, I found that there wasn't really a lot of movement happening towards building more renewable energy. So I got involved with some local climate organizing here at Edmonton. And through that, found my way to Iron and Earth and have been involved on the periphery for about a year or so with Iron and Earth and in an official capacity in about the last like two or three months. As I've worked in the trade, been seeing the way that the industry functions, it doesn't feel as hopeful in fossil fuels as it once did. We're seeing a lot more jobs being automated out. We're seeing companies just leaving the province because it's just too expensive to pull more oil out of the ground here. You know, I've seen the booms and busts, especially having a father who also works in oil and gas and how, you know, we get these huge booms where paychecks are great and jobs are plenty. And then all of a sudden the jobs aren't there anymore. I really started to think there's got to be a better way to do this. And I really felt that renewables are definitely the way that we can go about that and create at least a little bit more stability. There may not be the money that there is in oil and gas, but we can at least provide some amount of stability, both in the energy provided and in the jobs as well. Alberta sees itself as this place where all we do is oil and gas, and that just never really felt true. We're capable of so much more, especially the workers here, but there's just no movement. It feels like there's not quite the will politically, especially from people in power, that we can make investments into renewable energy that goes long term. I think fossil fuel workers have such an immense amount of power to really shape the narrative on renewables. So I had the opportunity to join up with Iron and Earth and have been working with them ever since. Expand on those four core areas of the organization's work that you mentioned. Skills initiatives, platforms, chapters, and advocacy. Renewable skills. I like to start there because that really is what everything comes towards. Being able to help workers transition from the careers that they currently have in fossil fuels to a net zero career. Or <laughs> the careers that they had. Because let's not forget that when the oil price tanked a few years ago, over 100,000 Canadians lost their jobs in the oil patch. So there's a lot of Canadians out there that are highly skilled, have many of the skills they need to move into the net zero economy, but they either don't know how or they just need a little bit of upskilling. So that's really where our Renewable Skills Initiative is quite unique. We do it in 10 days. It's exactly what people need in a very concentrated time period to be able to get the hands-on skills, the in-class skills, to get out there and start applying their skills. 
with the Renewable Skills Initiative, we've been working in Indigenous communities. And what that really entails is that instead of just being the organization that brings in the solar panels or brings in the wind turbines, we also bring in that education piece. So we have people that come in from the fossil fuel industry and from Indigenous communities, and they learn the skills. They walk away knowing how to install those solar panels. They walk away knowing how to install that wind turbine. They then have skills that they can walk into the net zero economy and continue working in these jobs. With the platform, with the Climate Career Portal, that really is to help people understand where it is that their skills can be used in the net zero economy. Because what we saw in our abacus poll that we did right across Canada with fossil fuel workers is that people either don't know what skills are needed in the net zero economy, they don't know how their skills translate, or they don't even know what jobs are available to them. So the Climate Career Portal kind of provides a solution for all of that. Somebody can go on there, let's say that they're a welder, they can look up and see what skills are needed in the net zero economy, what kinds of jobs would you be doing, what geographies would you be working in. And we believe that that really helps people to be able to identify and empower them really to move into that net zero economy space. And in terms of the advocacy, it's really about, you know, action follows policy. The government needs to put policy into place to enable companies and organizations to have their own transition to net zero. It encourages that transition, which inevitably creates jobs for people that want to be making that transition. As far as advocacy goes, one thing that I've found through all of my work in climate organizing the way that people react to fossil fuel workers talking about working in renewable energy, it just carries so much weight and carries so much power. The broad narrative that we're often given is that fossil fuel workers, they're only capable of working in fossil fuels. You know, We need to be building more fossil fuel infrastructure. We need to be building pipelines and more plants and everything because for some reason that's all that we're able to work on, which is entirely not true. Fossil fuel workers are absolutely capable of working on a wide variety of projects. Being a machinist, I am capable of making a part as easily for a pipeline as for a wind turbine. I just need the drawings. It's really not that much different for you know someone who's a welder, someone who's an electrician. We're all capable of working in a wide variety of industries, but we're still often used as pawns as a way to almost manufacture consent for more fossil fuel infrastructure, which honestly we know is not going to be needed for the future. As the world is moving away from fossil fuels, workers are looking at like a pretty scary future where we really run the risk of being left behind as the world moves off fossil fuels. So I think it's extremely important for fossil fuel workers to start putting forward and really advocating for supports and plans and start thinking about how we can transition our economy away from just fossil fuels and you know, really focusing on how we're going to build a net zero economy and making sure that fossil fuel workers and indigenous people are all included on that. Iron and Earth has been leading the way on making sure that fossil fuel workers are carried through the transition with the Prosperous Transition Plan, where we are really pushing four pillars, making investments into a national upskilling initiative where we are rapidly upskilling fossil fuel workers, a repositioning initiative to help support businesses to retool manufacturing, 
a national retrofit and repurpose initiative so that we take the already built infrastructure and we can retrofit it and repurpose it to be used in the net zero economy. And then also thinking about nature-based solutions as well and how we can prioritize green infrastructure solutions that are addressing climate mitigation and adaptation while strengthening the Earth's ecosystems and really using the natural carbon sinks. And that's something that we can advocate both at a national level as an organization, but through the chapters, I think we can also advocate for that at the local level as well. Really pushing for those solutions that every worker needs to really prosper in a transition to net zero. Practically speaking, how do the organization and its members engage in advocacy? We engage in advocacy in many different forms. You know, we use traditional social media channels. We create petitions to be signed that we then, you know, send off to the Trudeau government or provincial governments. It's really through our national chapters that generates that buzz for the advocacy, because through the national chapters, that's where we can be speaking to people that really have the greatest need and the greatest care for seeing that the just transition does go through. I mean, we're talking about people that are either unemployed, underemployed, you know, seeing the writing on the wall, wondering if their job's going to be there in the future, or if they come at it from a climate perspective, wondering, you know, what's the future going to look like for their children and grandchildren. Either way, I think that people are coming to the same conclusion that fossil fuels has its place, but probably not in the way that it's been traditionally such a large part of the energy sector, especially here in Canada. So our advocacy really is reaching out, you know, telling politicians what it is that they need to hear. Our prosperous transition plan is a message to the federal government saying, here is your blueprint. This is what you need to do to move to the net zero economy. What did you set out to do as you prepared the prosperous transition plan? The organization was really wanting to put out a piece of advocacy that could speak to everybody and provide a blueprint for how to achieve net zero. Because it's not enough to say, here's our target and we want to make this happen. It's great to have the ambition to make something happen, but we need more than just ambition. We actually need concrete plans. And so that's what the organization did. We said, right, okay, we know that we can speak with the government. We know that this helps the government because coming from the voices of the people that are on the ground working in that sector, they know exactly what needs to happen. They know what changes need to happen and they can see where the opportunities are. So when we were creating this plan, it really was as a piece for the government to read and say, right, I can see what areas we need to focus on. So it really was, let's give you a blueprint. Here's what you need to do. Here's the cost, here's the investment you need to make, and here's some policy suggestions as to how to make this happen. The plan has also been built off of a lot of conversations and engagement with fossil fuel workers as well, both through surveys and personal interviews. We've talked to fossil fuel workers to really ask what they need. And then also there's been a lot of look into other projects all around the world as well that have helped support a transition to net zero. Go into a bit more detail about some of the broad demands in the plan. What kind of upskilling is required, for example? Uh, what do you mean by nature-based solutions? That kind of thing. When it comes to like upskilling, we really need to be thinking about what is it that fossil fuel workers need. And I think many fossil fuel workers don't need massive retraining. 
if we're staying within the same trade, say an electrician might just need a little bit of training on you know, how to properly wire up a solar panel. Or a welder might need a little bit of guidance on working with you know, a slightly different type of steel than they're used to. But there is still going to be a need for training. So making sure that that training is offered and that there is money and supports put up for workers to access that training. So yeah, making investments directly into workers. And when we're thinking about the nature-based solutions, that's another area where we're kind of leveraging the things that we already have and thinking about how we can use the natural world around us to help mitigate carbon and maybe even pull some of the carbon out of the atmosphere. So, you know, planting more trees and how we can use the natural carbon sinks around us and revitalizing ecosystems and biodiversity as well. The nature-based solutions, it could even be something like tidal energy. So it's really broad and there's quite a lot of things that fit into the nature-based solutions. In terms of the other three, for example, the repurposing initiative, we have a project right now that's happening with Renewwell out in Tabor, Alberta. And the idea behind this is that, you know, there's about 170,000 abandoned drill wells covering thousands of hectares of land in Alberta that are just doing nothing. It's disturbed land, so it can't really be used for anything else. And while the infrastructure is still there, you know, while the roads are still there and whatnot, what Renewwell is doing is that they're actually placing solar panels down on these abandoned drill wells. They use the disturbed land for generating solar energy, and they leave the agricultural land for, you know, growing food. And then also in terms of repositioning, I mean, what we're really talking about there is retooling manufacturing capabilities and pivoting the businesses so that they can meet the demand of the net zero industries. Because just like Stephen, right, what he does on a day-to-day basis right now for the fossil fuel industry can easily be migrated over towards working in net zero, building wind turbines and whatnot. And with the National Upskilling Initiative, we think that it's going to take about $10,000 on average per trainee to be able to upskill them into the net zero economy. I'd imagine that you've both had a lot of conversations with other fossil fuel workers about the climate crisis, about what the transition might look like, and all of that. How have those conversations changed over the years? Especially living in Alberta, you know, even just recently, like beginning of October, we just had another day where the skies were full of smoke. You could really smell it and you could really feel it. And that's kind of been happening all summer and it's been getting worse and worse every year. And I think it's between us having to really grapple with the in-your-face effects of climate change, especially happening on our doorstep in Alberta, but all around the world. And then also seeing the constant shift in and the almost constant instability in the oil and gas sector that it really puts on workers. That's really pushed people to think about what does a better future look like for them. And people are starting to think like, okay, maybe this oil and gas thing, maybe this fossil fuel boom isn't something I can count on forever. And maybe I need to start thinking about something else. Through the conversations I've had with a lot of workers, it really is a spectrum. I've seen some people say that, you know, they're just concerned about the boom and bust and it just feels really financially unstable for them. And then there are the other people who are kind of like myself, feeling almost guilty about 
the things that their work has done. And I think they want to see a change and they want the ability to contribute to something that they feel more comfortable working with and that they feel is going to supply a good future for their kids and for their families. I don't know if it's necessarily all coming down to climate for everyone, but I think at the end of the day, fossil fuel workers are still going to be at the core of building out renewable infrastructure and the net zero economy. The conversations, what I noticed the most is that they used to be about prosperity. And if you saw the lifestyle that people working in the fossil fuel industries would put up with, you would understand, right? Because they'd be leaving their families for weeks on end, living in trailers in the middle of the forest and working, you know, 12 hour shifts in pretty grimy conditions. And people did this because it was well paid. It was the boom. But that's all changed. We're looking at the bust end of that cycle now. And instead of prosperity, the conversations circle around fear, anxiety, worry. You know, where is my job going to come from? Because before, as long as it paid well, it didn't matter if it was, you know, occasional work and maybe seasonal and whatnot. But now it pays just about as well as everything else. So the conversation certainly has changed. And just as Stephen says, you know, climate may not be the factor for everyone, but certainly pride in their jobs and pride of what they're doing, wanting to, you know, provide for their families and looking forward to the future and saying, okay, how am I going to make ends meet if, you know, I lose my job? Am I going to be facing bankruptcy on my home? These are the kinds of conversations that I hear from people that are still working in fossil fuels that, that have that worry. So climate change, you know, we saw what was happening in BC this summer. We see the temperatures are increasing. People see the writing on the wall. People see what's coming. And that's really how the conversations have changed. Along with ongoing advocacy, what else does Iron and Earth have planned to push your goals forward? We're going to be launching a social enterprise within the organization, which will help us to scale and get more people into the rapid upskilling programs. Right now, our programs are 10 days long and they're delivered through remote communities. But with each program delivery, there's only about 15 people that go through the program. You know, we're talking about thousands of workers that are needed in the economy. So we really need to scale up. That's what we're focusing our efforts on. And we're going to be partnering with post-secondary institutions. We're developing partnerships with other organizations. And we're also partnering with Indigenous communities and really having a listening phase. Because as we know, there's so many Indigenous communities here in Canada that are 100% diesel dependent. And from the communities that we speak to, they want to be moving towards more nature-based solutions and having something that is more one with the land. I would just really want to encourage any fossil fuel worker who's listening to not be too apprehensive about advocating for a just transition for themselves to net zero. You would be surprised at how many other fossil fuel workers are concerned about climate change just like yourself. If you were to talk to your coworkers in the lunchroom, you're going to find that a lot of people have concerns about climate or have concerns about the future of fossil fuels. And I think that's a really great place to start getting involved in this work, you know, just talking with your coworkers and then reaching out to Iron and Earth and getting involved is another way that we can really start building the net zero economy that we all need. You have been listening to my interview with Luisa De Silva and Stephen Bueller of Iron and Earth. To find out more about the organization, go to ironandearth.org.
To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.